Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. This is Friday, the third day of June in the year of our Lord, 2022. And in this report, I will be talking about President Biden's commencement address to the graduating class at the United States Naval Academy this past Friday, May 27th, just one week ago, as well as how that address reflects American foreign policy in the future service of those young Navy ensigns and Marine second lieutenants as they go forth to project American power around the world. I can't begin this report, however, without at least reminding you that tomorrow, June 4th, is the 80th anniversary of the Battle of Midway, a very important naval battle. That battle fought in the dark, desperate early months of World War II changed the course of the war and the course of history in general due to the sacrifice and the courage of all those naval officers and men of the U.S. Navy. Japan's ultimate defeat became inevitable, but it took three more years of bloodshed, final atomic horror before they would accept it. The President of the United States celebrated Memorial Day by delivering the commencement address to the graduating officers at the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, on Friday, May 27th. I'm not going to indulge you by making tired jokes about his slurred delivery his confusion, his inability to pronounce words or to say the correct words, that's all old news now. He did make some terrible gaffes, however. He did continue his creepy habit of leaning over the podium and whispering. He did do a lot of literal screaming when talking about Russia to these young officers. What he did not say was, to me, far more important than what he did say, just on a brief inventory he did not mention the 80th anniversary that I just discussed. It would have been a perfect time to tell these young people that a worthwhile goal for their naval careers would be to just begin to live up to the courage and sacrifice of those men at Midway. Most of these officers will undoubtedly be posted to the Pacific, where there is a growing threat of war with China. Thanks to his loose lips, he threatened war with China over Taiwan when answering a reporter's question. In Japan, would the U.S. military come to the aid of Taiwan in case of a Chinese attack? The reporter asked him, yes, he said. That's our commitment. I wonder if he is so far gone he doesn't know that that is, in fact, not our commitment. Never has been, unless, of course, he changed it and was just announcing that change. He undid about 46 years of American policy and relative peace with China in just one sentence. What is the most important job of the U.S. president? What do you think it is? One might argue that it is to prevent nuclear war. This man seems unaware of that job requirement and is increasingly willing to roll the dice with Russia and China. Another thing he could have told the graduates is that you are going in harm's way. You will be the tip of the spear delivering your aircraft if you turn out to be aviators and its ordinance wherever needed. China's a big problem now, thanks to my leadership. And so, a lot will be demanded and expected of you. But I know you're up to it. You have the best training in the world to prepare you for this task. None of that was said, of course. Nothing to bolster them, to uplift them for the many years of service coming. And apart from loved ones much of the time, many years that lies ahead of them. Instead, he chose to make the occasion about him instead of them, I'm certain. He is unfamiliar with Teddy Roosevelt's line from which I do the, drew the title of this report. Walk softly and carry a big stick, the bull moose 
famously said, by that line, Roosevelt was emphasizing that quiet diplomacy is the correct way to conduct international relations and that the big stick should be used only as a deterrent and only when all else fails. The president screams a lot. He screams. And for evidence, I give you his two-minute screaming rant against Vladimir Putin during this address. He apparently intended to stir up these graduates, get them fired up about going to war against a nuclear power. He attacked Putin's, quote, brutal, brutal war in Ukraine. Not only is he trying to take over Ukraine, he's literally trying to wipe out the culture and identity of the Ukrainian people, attacking schools, nurseries, hospitals, museums with no other purpose than to eliminate a culture, a direct assault on the fundamental tenets of rule-based international order, end quote. I must point out, that the transcript prepared by the White House corrects some of his gaffes, such as saying North Korea when he meant South Korea and his inability to pronounce certain words, but it also, the transcript does not convey the display of anger he exhibited by shouting my favorite whopper to these future Navy and Marine Corps officers was about, you guessed it, folks, climate change. Quote, over the past few years, we've seen how interconnected the world is, the deadly pandemic has impacted not just our own schooling, but almost every aspect of our lives. Impacts of disruptions to the global supply chain causing significant inflation. Accelerating the climate crisis that's leading to rising seas, more severe weather patterns around the globe, end quote. All complete horse manure, of course, but that is what he expects these officers to believe. What do they think? What do these young people think about their commander-in-chief when he stands before them and lies repeatedly to their face. I suppose he thinks they will just accept this statement that the virus accelerated the climate crisis and led to rising seas. Well, many of them undoubtedly studied physics at the academy, so perhaps they can explain to the more skeptical among them how that works. His statements about Putin are nonsense as well, completely illogical. Ukraine has been a part of Russia for well over a thousand years. Mongols fought ethnic Russians on the plains of Ukraine, as did Napoleon Bonaparte and Adolf Hitler. St. Vladimir the Great was born in Kiev in 958, founded the Russian Orthodox Church there, a church of which Vladimir Putin is a member today. Why would he try to destroy his own cultural heritage? The president isn't even skilled enough to tell a believable lie. He lies so often, so repeatedly in our faces that he must think we're all a bunch of idiots. He doesn't have speechwriters to write and review his speeches. I guess they're all liars as well, or perhaps the writers and people who loathe the teleprompter have been educated in today's progressive schools so they don't recognize the difference between a Democrat talking point and the truth. There's one thing I'm certain of. That is that those young officers understand his lies. They're not filled with confidence in their commander-in-chief. Let me return to China and Taiwan for just a few minutes, folks. Open support for Taiwan has never been the U.S. strategy. From the time Nixon and Kissinger went to China in 1974, the policy has been one of strategic ambiguity. That means the U.S. never made a clear statement on whether it would come to the aid of Taiwan if China invaded. Many thought the U.S. would do that, but that decision was left open to avoid unnecessary provocation of China. The U.S. agreed to never refute the one-China policy, and for decades, that has been our diplomatic and military policy. The president's destruction of strategic ambiguity in one sentence is more important than you might think. 
He committed to the United States to a course potentially leading to a nuclear war for no reason. He emboldened the Taiwanese government and infuriated the Chinese. There are reports coming out of China that the Chinese have ordered full mobilization in response. Taiwan is very important to China as a matter of pride, but also economically important. Taiwan is by far the world leader in computer chip manufacturing, and the U.S. has offshored virtually all its chip making to Taiwan. The Chinese know that. They know it would be devastating for the U.S. to lose that chip access still. For decades, the Chinese have left Taiwan alone, undoubtedly, because for decades they did not have the military capability to take it. Now they at least think they have that capability. You hear a lot of noise these days about hypersonic missiles, hypersonic technology. What does hypersonic mean? Well, that technology has one and only one purpose to counter the U.S. Navy's carrier battle groups. A forward-class nuclear supercarrier carrier costs about $13 billion to build, not including its 80 aircraft costing 50 to $250 million each. More importantly, it is home to 5,000 sailors and about 100 Marines. I believe right now it's a sitting duck for hypersonic missiles. A hypersonic missile is launched straight up into space where it acquires its programmed target. Then it accelerates to hypersonic speed, which is 4,000 miles per hour or greater and heads straight down into its target. Doesn't the Navy have anti-missile technology? Well, Yes, and carriers are surrounded by a screening force. Yes to both questions. Suppose one missile could be intercepted. What about a hundred or a thousand? Because that's how they would be launched. What I'm trying to say is that the U.S. needs time to counter that technology. That is where the speak softly until you actually have the big stick comes into play. President Biden's loose lips may very well sink ships unless cooler heads prevail. Last year, a Navy watchdog report demonstrated repeatedly in war games that the U.S. Navy is unprepared for a war with China. The report cites tight resources for shipbuilding and maintenance, shortcomings in training, as well as low morale. Meanwhile, the Secretary of the Navy just announced that he thinks the greatest threat the Navy faces is, that's right, climate change. His report dubbed, quote, Climate Action 2030, end quote, Reports Navy plans to build climate resilience, reduce climate threat, reduce greenhouse gas emissions. It said nothing, however, about fighting and winning a war with the Chinese Navy. My guess is that the Chinese Navy has a completely different set of priorities, for one thing. I will wager that every high-ranking Chinese naval officer, along with the leadership of the Communist Party, of China is saying, completely saying, they may imprison millions, they may persecute religious minorities, they may harvest organs from political dissidents, but they are solidly saying, I will surmise that not a single one of them thinks a man can get pregnant or that a man can become a woman just by thinking about it. I don't even think they give much thought or effort to recruiting more gay and transgendered people into the Chinese Navy. All that would be great food for thought for our future naval officers, I would think. Meanwhile, back in the real world of ordinary people, here are some thoughts he could have mentioned to them as well. Food prices up 9.4%, higher in April 2022 than April 2021, the largest increase in 41 years. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, grocery prices were up 10.8% for the year. The 
AAA reports that gas prices are setting all-time highs across the nation just in time for the summer driving season because of the lack of fertilizer and increased diesel prices. Farmers are warning us that food prices are going to double by October. Finally, folks, does anybody have an answer or does anybody even care that we are on an intentional track to national poverty? The president says we're in a transition to a new way of life that will be better. But, Mr. President, Mr. President, the people have no bread. Well, during this transition, let them eat cake. At least that's the way I see it. Till the next time, folks, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.